Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Stand uh, and stay standing. Do you guys know the uh, old Rich Mullins song, Our God is an Awesome God? Can we sing that together? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome Sing it again, church. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome. One more time. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and sit down. Love it. God is good. He is awesome. I'll tell you, nothing energizes me as a, as a believer more than seeing people follow Christ through baptism, the way these uh, four in this service, but 12 today are being baptized uh, in all of our different services. Um, in fact, this is the first time ever here at King Street some folks are getting baptized over in Baker. So yeah, we brought in a horse tank. No, it's not quite. It's it's a, uh, it's a portable baptistry, and so they're celebrating over there while we're celebrating here, and it's just, uh, it's a great day. In fact, our theme this year is transformation. Another word, really, I mean, the theme is transformation, but the big idea, what this is all about is discipleship. Discipleship is a journey of transformation. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the good news, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and make disciples of all nations. We're not just Christians, although yes, that's what we are. We are disciples. What does disciple mean? It means that we are followers of Jesus Christ that are reproducing the life of Christ into other people's lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. That we are followers of Jesus Christ who are reproducing the life of Christ in other people's lives. It's a multiplication movement of transformation as God is at work transforming us. God does not desire that we stay stagnant because when you are stagnant, you're dying, you're not growing. And God desires all of us to be in this journey of transformation, being formed into the person of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at it through these three different lenses. We're going to do this throughout the year. We're going to come back and revisit these. Spiritually alive. I love that this declaration in baptism is that you have been buried with Christ and raised again to walk in the newness of life. This is spiritual life. My old self is dead. I once was blind, but now I see. That's what transformation begins with in all of our lives is that we have the life of Jesus, the life of the Spirit. Today and this month, we've been looking at this topic of relationally connected, relational connection. Why is this so important? Well, 
I want to ask you, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? We know that Olivia Newton-John is hopelessly devoted to John Travolta, right, in Greece. No, hopelessly devoted to you. What are you devoted to? Anybody devoted to the Steelers? Any Steeler? You know, you don't see devotion like you do in, uh, in the sports world, right? I mean, my goodness, you see uh, high levels in fandom of devotion. Devoted, by the way, means having a strong love or loyalty for someone or something. Devoted, a strong love and loyalty. Well, I, I pull that word devoted out because as we think about why relational connection is so important, Think about the early church, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, six verses that lay the foundation for what the church, we, are to be about, how we are to conduct ourselves, what we are to, what our passions need ought to be. And we read here in Acts 2, 42, that they, the early church, devoted, there's the word, uh, a strong love and loyalty. They devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which I believe is a specific reference to communion, to Jesus said, here, take this bread and break it and give it to one another. It's the breaking of bread. It's not just eating, but it's the communion that we have through the body of Christ and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship. Why is this so important to be relationally connected? Because that word fellowship in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is the word, the Greek word koinonia. We looked at this several weeks back. Koinonia. And we see the definition of koinonia in verse 44. It said, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. You see, koinonia isn't just fellowship, like having a cup of coffee with someone, getting caught up on the weather and the thing, you know, what's your name? That's the start of it. But koinonia is way deeper than that. It is self-sacrificing fellowship. That's koinonia, where we give ourselves to each other. To say it again, the early church was hopelessly devoted to koinonia, to fellowship, to self-sacrificing fellowship. We also have looked uh, this month, I guess it's become kind of the month of Greek words, alelon, alelon, a hundred times in the New Testament, this word which we translate one another, it appears a hundred times, but 39 times, alelon is, is stated, one another is stated in the form of a command or an imperative. Love alelon, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, hold one another accountable. Etc., etc., etc. 39 one another's. These aren't just good suggestions. Why is relational connection so important? Because it is just woven into the fabric of the church and of what God calls us to. Last week, Pastor Ron Cook preached out of Romans chapter 12 and reminded us that relational connection begins vertically with our relationship with God, but that's all of Romans 12 
is about this relational connection. Be devoted, hopelessly devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, right? I mean, this is exactly what we see throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, practice hospitality. Why is relational connection so important? Because it's the heart and soul of what it means to follow Christ together in family. And I want to ask this question today. Why the church? Why the church? You know, I, as I kind of keep my ear to the ground on what's happening and various articles of what's happening in the church and the world, over and over again you read about millennials and, and, uh, and Gen Ys. What? I love Jesus. We read that they're very spiritual people, but it's the church I hate. You know, the sad fact of the matter is that's exactly what is being seen, where at best, 4% of the current 20, 18 to 30-year-olds right now are choosing to, uh, to go to church when not, you know, brought by their parents. Why the church? So many say, I love Jesus. It's the church that I can't stand. We've got to talk about this, church. Why is that? And why does God call us to come to church, to be in fellowship. Well, I, I'm going to give you the trifecta of, of geek words. Greek words, I mean. Um, <laughs> ecclesia, right? We've talked about koinonia, alelon, koinonia, self-sacrificing fellowship. Uh, alelon, one another. Today, ecclesia, ecclesia. This word also appears uh, over 100 times in the Bible, but I'm going to say this. Uh, it appears both in the Old and the New Testament. Just a little history here. This is a Greek word, right? And uh, in the year 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ, uh, the Bible that got translated from the, from the Hebrew into the common language of the day is called the Septuagint. The Septuagint. It's basically a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Why? Because in the 4th the century B.C., Alexander the Great conquered the known world, spread Greek language and Greek thought and Greek culture uh, all over the world. And so about 100 years after that happened, everyone was now speaking Greek and they couldn't read Hebrew. So a, a group of scholars got together and translated the Bible into Greek. That was the Bible that people used when Jesus walked this earth. It was the Septuagint. It was the Greek translation, unless you were Jewish, of the Old Testament. Well, so they were making choices on words. Well, there was a word, the, the Hebrew word is kahal, Q-A-H-A-L, kahal. And kahal literally means assembly or congregation, assembly. That word, assembly, was translated into the Greek with the word ekklesia, which also means gathering or assembly, but it's not just a crowd. It is this very specific calling out of a group of people, a set-apart group of people. Let me just show you an example of where this takes place. Way back in Deuteronomy, like I said, the word ecclesia shows up in the Old Testament, wherever kahal is translated. This is, uh, remember when Moses came down and threw the tablets when he saw the people sinning? Uh, he went back up, and God gave him, we read here, two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments of the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on, interestingly. They don't call it Ten Commandment Day, 
They don't call it the day of the law. That's, you know, Exodus 20 when we get the Ten Commands. How do the people, how did Moses refer to that day? He calls it the day of the assembly or the day of the ecclesia. That's the Greek word that appears in the Jewish translation of Deuteronomy 9. It means this, this gathering, this calling out, this assembly. Well, when we, uh, when we read this ecclesia in the Old Testament, it's always translated assembly. But it's interesting because when you get to the New Testament, you still run into the word ecclesia. I'll show you a verse in a minute. But Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my, what? Church. Church. Well, the actual word there is ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia, and yet when we get to the New Testament, the word ecclesia begins to be translated as church. I tried to look into this a little bit, and what I found out was that in 1385, when we start to see some initial translations of the Greek and Hebrew into English, what we talk here today, uh, they were making word choices, and Wycliffe a translator back in 1385 translated ecclesia in Matthew 16 with the word church. Most scholars think that's kind of the first time this got applied in the English language. Church, interestingly enough, is based on the ancient uh, German word as well as kind of, I think, with roots in the Scottish language of kirk or kirche. Kirche. Now, why is that important? It's because Kircha actually doesn't have as its root or base understanding what we do together, assembly. It actually has its root of understanding or root of origin in a place where the Lord's people gather. In other words, a building, a location. And so as the word church started working its way into the English language, King James 1611 translated it, church, assembly. So we, when we run into the word ecclesia in the New Testament, it's a little different meaning, isn't it? Because the Old T Testament is this word assembly, but the New Testament kind of goes a little more to the place of assembly, the building. In fact, it's interesting. What do we often say? We're going to go to church. <laughs> We're going to go to church. And it really has become, in our, in our understanding, in some ways, a location, which is not the original intention. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, and let's look at some of the history of, of this language. I just mentioned, this is Jesus, who used this word ecclesia in Matthew 16, um, Verses 13 down to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man, that I am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, who's come back to life. What about you guys? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, spokesman for the group, spoke out. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, Son of your father Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that your name is now Petra, Peter, which means rock. 
And upon this rock, which wasn't him as much as it was what he declared, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this faith, this declaration, I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of Hades won't overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So in Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my ecclesia. So the Old Testament, we have these assemblies and these gatherings For sacred purposes, which is what eventually began to happen in the tabernacle and then the temple, which were a place. But he's saying, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my called out ones, my people. And the movement of my people will not ever fail. It will carry on until the day that I come back. Here we are 2,000 years later. Church, we're living it. We are the building of of the body of Christ, his assembly on earth. Turn over to Matthew 18, because we we run into another reference that Jesus makes to the church. In this case, he's giving some teaching on how to deal with sin in the life of the church. He said, if your brother or sister sins against you, tell them, point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen, you've won them over. If they don't, Take one or two others along so that every matter established by the testimony of two or three. If they still refuse, there you go. Tell it to the church. So he's clearly saying here that there, as time rolls on, there will be this local body, this gathering, this called out assembly, which even in this teaching leads us to believe, yes, that there's going to be kind of a hierarchy and a structure, which Paul later on describes in his letters. But Jesus is saying this. Take it, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever, again, we see this same phrase as we saw back in Matthew 16. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is said in the context of the church. There is authority in the church. There's power in the church. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything and ask for it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather, what? In my name, there I am in the midst of them. This is what happens when we come together in the name of Jesus, as his church, as his assembly, where two or more gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus is present in our midst, and we are constituted the body of Christ on earth. A church defined, if you will, as a regular gathering of at least two or three people assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what we do when we come together to encourage one another, to build one another up, to support one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Turn with me back to Hebrews. Right towards the end of the New Testament, right before we get to James and Peter and Jude and Revelation, I want to point out a few other verses that Hebrews gives us on the church, on the ecclesia. Uh, Look down at uh, Hebrews, I'll give you it here on the screen. Chapter 10, verse 19, um, down to 25. 
Therefore, and it's interesting, even by the middle of the, the late first century, this is, you know, 30 or 40 years after Jesus established their, the church, uh, the writer of Hebrews is de- describing the relationships in the church as family. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, his body, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who is in heaven and is our great high priest, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And I love this. I think it's a picture of baptisms. Baptism, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, verse 24, uh, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Don't give up. Not giving up meeting together. Don't forsake meeting together. It's vital that we are devoted to fellowship, to coming together, as some actually are in the habit of doing. Well, I guess I see that they had the same thing going on in the first century that we do with millennials today, right? As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Bottom line, we need each other. For when we come together, God is able to do a work far beyond what we ourselves are capable of alone. I love this picture that uh, there's a book that I've been reading on, on this stuff, The Power of the Other by Dr. Henry Cloud. And um, he says that he uses an illustration out of the Navy SEALs who parachute into uh, enemy territory. He said, uh, like a Navy SEAL who parachutes into hostile territory, they ask three questions. Where am I? Where is the enemy and where's my buddy? No matter what the answers are to questions one and two, the way out of difficulty is going to come from having the answer to question three. We need other people. If you're lost, you can connect with your buddy and find the way out. If your enemy is about to get you and you're surrounded with no way out, call for reinforcements, your buddy will take the enemy out. If you can't find your buddy, you're in deep stuff. I love that. If you can't find your buddy, you're in deep stuff. We need each other. I want to just read a a quick article that I ran across uh, about this guy named Peter Furler. If you've ever heard of the Newsboys, uh, Peter Furler um, was the founding lead singer, and now he's the producer of the group. But someone interviewed him about his history, and he said this. Peter acknowledged that for 15 years... He had left the church. And this is the first many years that he was traveling with newsboys. He had no, well, in a way it kind of makes sense, right? He's gone every weekend, whatever. He said he acknowledged that for 15 years he had left the church. He said what this meant. We didn't have a connection or a home base. We didn't have pastors or leaders in our lives. We were just a group of nomads who roamed the earth. When asked about how he stayed strong during that period of wandering, Peter replied, I didn't. I really didn't. That's probably why I'm back in church and why I believe in wise counseling, having men around you that you want to be like. Justin mentioned that that's been critical in his his faith development. For me, it wasn't so much in some big moral failure. It was a moral failure of the heart 
where there is no hope, your heart sorts, sort of starts to void. As I got older, I questioned not so much Jesus, but I began questioning the purposes of God. There's been a lot of talk about purpose in these last years. I began to realize I can't really enter into my purpose until I understand what God is doing. I started to get a real kingdom revelation. I realized there was a revolution that started a couple thousand years ago. It's exactly what we're talking about, the church. Jesus died and he's building a kingdom. And it's the only hope that racism, poverty, and all the afflictions on earth are going to disappear. That began to thrill me. And it began to change our music a little bit, end quote. As God called Peter to lead people in true worship, he came back into the church to get aligned with the plans and purpose of God for himself and for the world. That's what happens when we fall out of the church. I appreciated what Mario said in his video. He said, I would try to find any excuse not to come to church. Right, Mario, you in the house? Yeah, I heard you say that, man. Uh, he said, I would try to find any excuse not to go to church. Why? Because God didn't want you here. God didn't want you here because he knew if he got you here, your life would be transformed. You would come into fellowship with other believers and you'd begin to be encouraged and build up and hear the word and receive the spirit because where two or more gather in his name, there he is. God didn't want you here. But once you came, you then said this, since I've been coming to church, my life has changed. Can we hear it for God in that? Yes, clap, please, awesome, celebrate. My life has changed. We need God and we need each other. We need God and we need each other. Where's the enemy? Where am I? And where's my buddy? And if we don't have the answer to the first two questions, if we have the answer to a third, the third, we're okay. We have one another. As I was studying for this sermon, I ran across some quotes by Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek. Uh, well, I just reiterated Hebrews 10 there. But uh, Bill Hybels said some, he said some very strong things about the church that I agree with. He said the local church is the hope of the world. Now, he's been questioned on that. Wait a minute, isn't Jesus the hope of the world? Isn't Jesus the light of the world? Why are you putting so much emphasis on the local church as the hope of the world? Because we're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is coming back for his bride. I agree with him. And its future rests in the hands of its leaders. He said, church isn't where you go. It's not the building. It's what you do. Living the call. It's engaging and blessing our community with the gospel. It's who you are. It's the human outworking of the person of Jesus. Let's not go to church. Let's be the church. Amen. You don't go to church. We are the church. We be the church. And then he said this, nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than the local church. It truly is a city on a hill that can't be hidden. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. 
Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Why? Because we are one body with one spirit, with one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father over us all. We are family and we are the body of Christ in this world. I'm going to ask you if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, we are your hands, your feet. We need each other. We are members of one body. And God, I thank you that you, you've brought us here this morning. I, I pray even for someone that might be listening right now on the internet or live stream or the radio. Jesus, we ask that you will bring us into your body and, and help us to find you, Lord. Help us to find you and live for you. I think about a campfire that's blazing and burning bright, but you take a log and you kick it off to the side. What happens to that log? Lord God, we know it starts to grow dim and it starts to fade and, and, uh, and the embers start to die down. But if you kick that log back over into the campfire, it catches fire again. It goes back to burning bright. Lord, there may be some here today that kind of feel like that log that's been kicked off to the side and, and, the, and the flames are starting to die down. Lord, bring us back into your body. Bring us back into fellowship with one another. Help us find koinonia. Help us, Lord, to live out the one another's of Scripture. Lord, to ask this question, where's my buddy? I need to find fellowship. It helps me understand where I am and where the enemy is. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for calling us into your church. Your gathering, your called out ones. And to know, Jesus, that you're coming back for us. You're coming back for the church. We praise you, we worship you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, let's stand. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.